0: Anybody grateful that the love of God chases us? We we were running, by the way. We were running hard and fast away from God, but his love chased us down. Scripture talks about his love being reckless. He comes after us. He pursues us. And he does so because of his great love for us. Not because of anything that we've done. Not because of anything that we've thought. But because of his love. We don't know a love like that. A love like that doesn't exist. A love that will pursue us. Even when we run from it, most of time we want people to pursue us and chase after us. But God, he chases after us. The one who created the heavens and the stars, he chases after us. My name is Pastor Derek Parks. I have the privilege of uh, being the pastor here. Um, it is my privilege to stand before you today to declare the word of God. Um, I'm excited uh, this morning because the sun is out, um, but more than that, because the sun lives. Amen. Um, he lives and he reigns. So we have been trekking through a series um, in Colossians chapter one titled Making History. Um, we launched our this church several weeks ago back on August 15th. Uh, and we ask the question, what would it look like for us to make history? Because throughout, his, throughout history, uh, God has been making history through the planning of churches all throughout uh, the world. Uh, that's been God's plan for advancing the kingdom of God, okay? Uh, and that's how God has done so. He's done so through planning churches. So we ask, what would it look like for us to make history, um, not just history, but his story, so we've been asking that question for several weeks and we're finishing up that this week. Um, I got done faster than I thought I would. So now I got to think of something to preach <laughs> in the next couple of weeks. So um, but we're going to be in Colossians chapter one today, verse twenty four through twenty nine. So if you have your your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, if not, uh, we'll have it for you up on the screen. Colossians chapter one. Y'all sleepy today. Y'all can wake up a little bit. Y'all will not talk to me. I'm gonna be up here long. I'm not even gonna turn this clock on back there. I'm just gonna talk and go. And we gonna be here in church. So Colossians chapter one. Oops, wrong button. Don't nobody look at me. Matter of fact, look at me. Don't turn around. There we go. Okay. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29. Hear these words of our Father. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body. That is the church. Somebody say, The church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles, the glorious wealth of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Verse 29, Paul says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, severing the marrow from the bone and God, I pray that this word would get deep down into the marrow of our souls, Lord. And when we hear this word, we might respond by saying, Lord, help us to obey. Lord, may your word transform us today. May your word renew us today. May your word rejuvenate us today may it enliven us today father god and i pray that as i stand here that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak through my mouth and let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight my lord my strength and my redeemer in whom i trust in jesus mighty name i pray and the whole church said amen Amen. i want to tag this text today as a history of service a history of service. A woman was interested in Christian ministry in London and she wrote once to a man who was a famous preacher and she said to him, I have a meeting I want you to come and speak at. It's only a small meeting, she said, and it will take nothing out of you. The man responded to her letter and he said, sadly, I cannot come. And it would be of no use for me if I did, because you see, if it takes nothing out of me, it will be no good for anyone. It is service that costs us and cheap religion is not worth anything. I want to submit this idea to us today is that we, if we are going to serve, then we have to serve what we have been served. If you are going to serve today, if you're going to make history in the kingdom of God, then you've got to serve what you've been served. Join me in verse 24 here where Paul, he, he writes, he says, now I rejoice. See, Paul, it, it, he understands that if you're going to serve, then it must come with some suffering. Your service in the kingdom of God, and Paul understands this very well. He says that your service in the kingdom of God should cost you something. That's why Paul here is rejoicing in his suffering. See, literally, Paul is calmly happy about the fact that his ministry to the church is filled with suffering. The word suffering here means misfortune or calamity or evil. And if you know anything about the life of Paul, then you know that his life was filled with misfortune, calamity and evil. Second Corinthians 11 uh, gives us a peek into that. Paul here, he's he's arguing back and forth with some jokers uh, and he's letting them know. He says, listen, are they servants of Christ? Let me talk like a madman for a second. I'm be- I'm a better one. With far more labors. Many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many more times near death. Like, Paul is tripping here, talking about all the times he's been imprisoned and put in jail. He says, five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people. That ought to preach right there for some of us. Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. I preach a whole other sermon on false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. Are you getting the picture here that Paul's service is connected to his suffering? See, service in the kingdom of God has a cost. Many of us would have been gone from the faith if this list were regulative. If this was the list presented to us as what we would have to endure, if we're going to be servants of Christ, we would run right out of this door and right up Washington Street, right back home. If this were the qualifying list for us to be considered a servant of Christ, we wouldn't even sign up to be in a relationship with Jesus. We would walk away from the faith if we were called to a service like this. Now listen, this can sound like a guilt trip, but it's not. This sermon is to call us on a trip though with the Savior. That produces a reward that e- eclipses our suffering. See, listen. I want us to think more subjectively here. We we live in in America, and and for the time being, we don't have to face any kind of persecution like what Paul and his fellows experienced in the early church. But the word suffering here in this passage can also mean to have a strong influence. I want us to see next what Paul says here in 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 Corinthians uh, chapter eleven. He just laid out all the stuff that he had been through. He laid it all out. He said, I've been beat. I've been whipped. I've been shipwrecked. I've been hungry. I've been suffering. I've had all these things happen to me. And then he says this interesting phrase, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me. Look at what he says here. My concern for all the churches. See, Paul's suffering was also an internal one that he had concern for the church. See, and his concern for the church was an extremely strong influence on his life. See, we're concerned with many things in our life, but how many of us can honestly say, like Paul said, that we have a deep daily pressure on us and that we are concerned about the church of Jesus Christ? Both spiritually and physically. That's why Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, I am supplementing what is lacking. This is so good. He says, I am supplementing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body, the church. I I want you to hear the power of what's being said here. Paul is submitting to us this idea that through our suffering, or our commitment to serving, he says you provide a supplement for anything that is lacking in the gospel message. So in other words, your service to and through the church fills up the gaps in people's understanding about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you serve in Christ's church as a believer in Jesus, you communicate to unbelievers the full breadth of Christ's suffering for them. Here's what I mean. Through your service, unbelievers get a glimpse of Christ's sacrifice. Through your service, unbelievers get a glimpse of Christ's sacrifice. See, the, the, the poverty of people's understanding of the gospel message uh, is made complete when you have a commitment to stacking chairs. The poverty or the deficiency of people's understanding of the gospel message is made complete when you have a a commitment to filling up food boxes and serving coffee to people. The deficiency in people's understanding of the gospel message is made complete when you have a commitment to standing outside holding a flag saying, come on in here, we've got a seat for you. And here's how those conversations will go. People start to ask you, do you stay after every week to help put this room back together with all the stuff in it? Do you get here early every week to this place to help put connection cards on those chairs? Do you miss hearing the sermon once or twice a week to go and help the kids and facilitate a learning time for them? Yeah, I do. They're going to ask you, well, why do you do that? Because Christ gave up his life for me. And now I get the opportunity to give up my life for him. You see, Christ is calling us. I've been saying this the whole time throughout the series. Christ is calling us to give up our time, our talent, and our treasure for him. Why? It's because he gave up of his time, talent, and treasure for us. You want to ask how did he give up his time, preacher? I'll tell you. He is the one who stood outside of time. And he came to the earth and made himself subject to time and made himself subject to aging and dying so that we would have an opportunity to have the chance to have life in him. How to give up his talent, preacher? Scripture says that Paul just laid out for us in this in this hymn of praise that he laid out in verse fifteen through twenty. He just told us that he is the most talented creator in all of the universe. I know you think you get on Instagram and put cool filters on stuff and you're creative, uh, but but God is the one who put a filter over the skies and said, "Look at the firmaments and how they're how they're decorated. That's my handiwork." Look at the seas and see the beautiful colors of the crystal waters in the Caribbean. That's my handiwork. I know you put a filter on your Instagram page. It looks really cool, too. With your dog ears and stuff like that. And then you start a business and you say, I'm a creative. I'm going to do some stuff. Jesus, what's the most creative and most talented person in the whole universe. And he made himself subject to being burped as a little baby. How did he give up his treasure preacher? Well, he gave up the luxuries of heaven to be born in a dirty, nasty manger beside a bunch of animals. What have you given up this week in order to serve the kingdom of God? Better than that, what do you regularly give up in, give up in order to serve in and through the church? See, Paul goes one step deeper to say, not only will I serve the church with sufferings, but I'll also make myself a servant. See, Paul understood that he was executing commands for another. Uh, he wasn't living his life trying to have others obey his commands. In fact, he was living life trying to execute. He wasn't living life trying to execute his own commands on his life. And so, in other words, Paul wasn't just here trying to live his best life because he knew that he didn't have a life that he could live that belonged to him. Galatians 2, Paul says this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And listen, any life that you now live, that best life that we're all trying to pursue, he's saying this. He saying the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, serving in the kingdom of God means that sometimes you will have to give up your life. Literally, sometimes you won't have a life. See, Paul, he understood that he was an attendant of the church. He understood that he that he was a waiter for the church. See, 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 much like a flight attendant, Paul was standing and serving in the midst of turbulence. Life was rocking him back and forth, and and he was going to serve you those stale pretzels uh, for your nourishment because he knew that you needed it. Life was, was, was jolting Paul side to side, but he said, listen, I'm going to bring you that pillow anyway so that you can comfortably reach your destination. And listen, the same ought to be true for us. We have to attend to the needs of people. We have to attend to the needs of the laws in order to help people comfortably reach the destination of salvation. See, Paul says. It's according to the commission given to him by God that he now serves. In other words, Paul understood that serving in the church was a stewardship in the economy of God. What do I mean? The word here means management of household Affairs. I saw an article the other day that talked about. It was a little video thing. Talked about classes being offered to help young people learn how to do regular household chores, called adulting classes. They're teaching them stuff like how to do laundry how to vacuum, how to iron their clothes. In fact, it said that 40% of college students do not know how to boil an egg. What a failure (laughs) by the parents. I'm talking about the parents, like what a failure. The kids can't boil an egg. My son has been making eggs by himself since he was five years old. Now, he started out making them in the microwave. Don't listen. <laughs> he ate, though. <laughs> Y'all be sitting there looking hungry. He ate. He's been doing his laundry since he was seven. Listen. And I said, as I'm watching this video, I said, God if people can't boil an egg, how in the world are they supposed to make a disciple? If they can't boil an egg, if they can't iron a sheet, how in the world are they going to walk somebody from spiritual death to spiritual life? If they can't do this simple, basic stuff, how in the world are they going to serve inside of the church? But here's what I want to communicate to us. When I was a kid, My aunt used to always make me do chores. Like, I used to clean the baseboards. Some of y'all don't even know what a baseboard is. My aunt had me cleaning the ceiling fans. She had this little brush that you would use and you would get up there on the ceiling fan, and then she told you that wasn't good enough. Go stand up on that step stool and stand up there and get a wet paper towel and wipe the top of it off so that the real stuck-on dirt gets off of there because I don't want that stuff flying in my nostrils. I'm telling you, I used to have to clean the refrigerator grime. Y'all don't even know what that is. Listen, you know how when you open the refrigerator, it's the little rubber piece along the side. Ma used to have me stand up on the thing and pull back the little rubber piece and take a Q-tip and go through the little thing with the Q-tip and get the grime up out of the uh, the refrigerator. Y'all young, y'all don't know what that stuff is like. But listen, my aunt, one day, aunt sent me outside she said boy go out there and pull up them weeds out the cracks in my sidewalk and I said what like they outside like like can't they just be great like let them live like so I had worked up enough courage to ask my aunt I said uh uh hey auntie like my voice was cracking just like that well what why why we gotta do this kind of stuff and I was waiting for the fury to come. And she looked at me in a way that made me really uncomfortable in fear for my life. And then she placed her hand on my shoulder. And I thought I was going to die. But she looked at me and lovingly said, baby, it's our house. If we don't do it, who will? And listen, this day in your hearing, God is placing his hand on the shoulder of your life, of every believer here in this room, and saying, by the blood of my son, I have drawn you into my household, and my house is now your house, and you get to dwell here, and where I dwell, you will dwell, and we have to work to do it because it's our house. See, God ain't waiting on nobody else to do what he wants to to be done here on the earth. He's saying, listen, I've got some people that I've ransomed for myself, and I've purchased these people for myself. I'm going to put them to the work of doing the things that the world needs most. If people are hungry, guess what? I'm going to use my people to feed them. If people are down and out, guess what? I'm going to use my people to lift them up. And guess what? He's saying to you, the way that you lift them up into the house of God is, guess what? You do the things that you don't want to do. Listen, God is saying here, he's saying, listen, this is what Paul says in this passage. He says to us, he says, look, I have become its servant. He's talking about the church according to God's commission that was given to me. See, the stewardship or the commission that Paul is talking about here, the commission that was given to us to serve the body of Christ, Paul is saying, and the word here implies that it is a gift. The invitation to serve in Christ's church is a gift from God. I wish I had some people who knew what I was talking about, that when you are called into relationship with Jesus Christ, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then he gives you the gift of service. He calls upon us to serve in his kingdom so that other other people who don't believe right now will come into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ through your service to the kingdom. Then Paul, he, listen, he says, listen, he said, it was a gift. It, it was given to me for you. I want you to watch that Paul says here that the gift it is given to him for us. In other words, Paul is saying that the gift of God is given to you to serve others in the church. And this word here means for your benefit. So I wish I had time to say what I, what I need to say here, but I want, you to, I want you to recognize the gift that has been given. Not, nothing is worse than, than, than giving somebody a compliment and they don't know how to receive a compliment. Nothing worse than that. You say, oh, nice shirt. They go, oh, this old thing. Like, just say thank you. Like, be quiet. Like, just say thank you. You know you just got that shirt. You're showing off. So this old thing. And when you bought it, you probably paid too much for it, and now you want to act like it ain't nothing. Just say thank you. So listen, nothing's worse than, 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 than giving somebody a compliment and they don't know how to receive it. But... What Paul is saying here, he's saying to us is that the gift that God has given to you is for your Benefit. So when he gives you a particular gift, whatever that gift might be, you might have the gift to sing, uh, you might have the gift to to to, to fool pamphlets. Whatever that gift is, God has given you that gift, and when he calls upon you to use that gift in his kingdom, the way that you respond to him is just by saying, Thank you, Lord, for giving me the gift that you've given me. Now I'm not going to bury that gift, I'm not going to sit on it, but I'm going to use that gift to advance the kingdom of God. And you say, Thank you, God. I'm going to come over here and I'm going fold these pamphlets like nobody ever folded these pamphlets before. I'm going to stand outside and hold that flag and wave people in and smile at people. It's going to be the best smile that they ever seen in their whole entire life. It's going to welcome them into the kingdom of God by the way that I smile at them. But here it is. Paul says through your service, the word of God is made fully known. I want you to catch that idea that through the small thing that you do, the word of God is made fully known. The word of God is the same thing that created all of the stars in the sky the word of God is the same thing that spoke into the ocean and said, let there be living things in the ocean. And now there are so many living things in the ocean that we don't even know what half of them are because we can't get down there and see them. Y'all know I watch nature shows, like, bear with me. So, the same word That God used to speak everything into existence is the same word that will be made fully realized when you serve. I wish I had a church today that that understood that the the, the word of God, this very thing that God used to speak into nothing and everything that was created. Paul tells us that in this chapter, everything that was ever created was created by him through his word. And when you serve, you make that word fully known to those who don't know it yet. Paul's going to walk through this. I'm going to go through this really quickly. Paul here, he, he, he says, listen, the church was a mystery that was hidden throughout all the ages. But now this mystery has been revealed to his saints. See, Paul is making it clear that God's plan has always been to make inclusion visible and manifested through his church. What do I mean? Paul is letting us know that the church is a uniquely mysterious place where all kinds of people come together as one. And it is this mystery that God had been holding on to and waiting for fulfillment to occur through the church by his son's blood and his sacrifice for us that can now be made known to us as the church of Jesus Christ. So watch this. Your service in the church further manifests this mysterious vision of God drawing all types of people to himself. See, most things, you've got to wear a particular type of thing, look a particular type of way, and speak in a particular voice, and sound a particular way, and think a particular way in order to be included in that thing. But God is saying... It doesn't matter who you are or what you look like or what you think like or what you talk like. Or it doesn't matter how good your English is or what, if you've got broken English or whatever. It doesn't matter who you are. I'm welcoming you into the kingdom of God, which is called the church. He's welcoming us into that through the power of his son. So listen, that means that your work at the hospitality table is not a menial task because it makes the plan of God visible to those who don't see it yet. Your smile at that visitor that you opened the door for uh, and let you, you listen when you smiled at them, you open up the door for them to enter into the kingdom of God. See, can I tell you this, that that is exactly what God wants. He tells us here, he says, listen, Paul was saying that this mystery that's been revealed to the saints, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. See, the word here suggests, the word for wanted here suggests that God actually takes pleasure in the things that you do to help make his glorious mystery plainly visible. In other words, God is saying that the little stuff that you do the tiny things that you do that, that no one notices. Nobody knows that you've put pins onto all of those connection cards and placed them onto the chair. Nobody knows that, but God is saying here, he says that those things, he takes pleasure in those things because they help make the glorious, mysterious plan that he has for the world. It makes that plan visible. You're probably asking how. We've got people walking into this church. Who've never even asked, who've never been asked, what's your name? God's got people walking into this church who've never been asked a cons- a question about the concern for their person in weeks. And they walk into this place and they're down and out and they're struggling and they need some help. And you just opening up the door and saying hello or that connection card that you placed on the table or that greet that the greeting that you gave them when they walked in. That has been the first greeting of its kind that they have received in weeks. That's why he says through your service, God declares his glorious wealth, declares the glorious wealth of this mystery. See, God says that the magnificence and uh, of my splendor is made known through your service. But further than that, he says that the abundance of my riches are recognized through your service. See, all types of people will gain a knowledge of God through your secret sacrificial service. Pagans and heathens and unbelievers will come to know God through your service. That's why Paul says that the glorious wealth of this mystery is what? Is Christ. And guess what? Here's the good news. If you believe in Christ as your savior, it says that the glorious wealth of God is Christ and he's inside of you. See, he is in you and he is the joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. And your service will be strengthened when you serve him. See, the world thinks that they can just do stuff and that they can serve and they can be philanthropic and do all those things and serve the world. Uh, But it, it always falls short. It, it It always misses the mark because it, it it doesn't have Jesus as the center it doesn't have Jesus as the focus of what it is doing, so it always falls short and and, and Paul is arguing that your that your service will be strengthened when you serve him verse twenty eight he says we proclaim him, see in so doing, in proclaiming Jesus and making Jesus' name fully known through your service, uh, uh, we present people to be mature in Jesus Christ. Through your service, you help to walk people from spiritual death to spiritual life, but then you help walk them from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Your spiritual maturity is directly connected to the level of your service. I wish I had a church. Uh, in doing so, listen, when, when Christ is living inside of you uh, and you're called to Christ, you won't need no adulting classes because he calls you to be made mature in him through your suffering. See, and listen to this. Paul's his last admonishment is this. If you grow weary. Because he says here in verse 29, he says, I labor for this. Striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. If we grow weary and contending to make his name known through our service, you're doing the right thing. If you say, man, I'm exhausted. I got up early this morning so that I could get to church and I could help set up, man, man, I'm tired. I'm pretty exhausted right now. Guess what? God says, you're doing the right thing. He says, if you're, if you're striving here to, to make things work, Paul's saying that, that your service in the kingdom, this word striving here is where we get the English word to agonize. So Paul's saying here that, that your service to, to, to Christ and his church ought to be agonizing for you at times. It ought to cost you something. You ought to fill it when you serve in the kingdom of God. But guess what? He says this. He gives us his strength. You see, this, this word for strength is only used to refer... To superhuman strength in the New Testament. It's never used of, of mere men, but it's saying here, he says that as you labor and as you strive for the kingdom of God, you do so with his strength that works powerfully in you. So if we want to make history, if we want to perform some Herculean efforts uh in, in, in this life, then we must lean on his strength, which works powerfully in our lives. And and I want us to see here that the, the, the when it says here that it works, it's talking about the act he's talking about being active. It's talking about being at work. See, see, Paul is saying here to us, he's saying, as you go about this life, as you seek to make the Lord's name famous, then you've got to be actively involved in that. There's no such thing as passively making the name of Jesus great. There's no such thing as passively making his name known. If you're going to make the name of Jesus Christ known, then you better get active and working and be operative and at work through his power. You can't make it happen sitting down. You can't make it happen just laissez-faire, just kind of doing what you want. It doesn't work like that. You have to be actively At work in him. I'll close with this. During World War II, England needed to increase its production of coal. So Winston Churchill, the great leader, he called together the labor leaders to enlist their support. And at the end of his presentation, he asked them to picture in their minds a parade which he knew would happen after the war he says picture in your mind this parade people marching back from this parade the victors coming into the city he says first you'll see the sailors who kept the vital sea lanes open the next will come marching in the soldiers who had come home from Dunkirk and then had gone on to defeat Rommel in Africa. Then he said would come next would be the pilots, those pilots who had driven the enemies from the sky so that the soldiers could march on through. Then he says to them, last of all, the ones to receive the ones who came in last This is so beautiful. The ones who came in last were actually the ones who were of most importance. He said, the ones who would come in last, you would see a long line of sweat-stained, soot-soaked men in miners' caps. And someone would cry out from the crowd, why are those coal miners at the end of the line? Why are those coal miners the ones to receive the most praise? To which the crowd would respond and say, the miners would respond and say, we get to be here because we were deep inside of the earth with our faces to the coal. See, not all the jobs that you do in the church are going to be prominent or glamorous. It's often time the people who have their faces to the coal who are deep in the earth that help the church to really accomplish its mission You see, without the coal, they would have never been able to power the steam engines that were going back and forth and carrying supplies. Without the coal, they would not have been able to do the things that they needed to do in order to get the pilots and get the the soldiers to where they needed to be. But it was because of those coal miners who were working uh, underneath the radar, who were working beneath the surface, literally of the surface of the earth, who made this this mission be accomplished. And God is calling for some of us to be coal miners. He's calling for some of us to put our noses to the ground. He's calling for some of us to put our hands to the plow with our heads straight forward and moving the mission and the kingdom of God forward. And guess what? People may never know your name. They may never know even what you have done to make the kingdom of God be advanced. But he says this, he said, listen, that those are the most important people, those who have their faces to the coal. And I would argue this, it's those of us who have our faces to Christ who make the most difference for him. It's those of us who take our eyes off of us and say, listen, I'm going to serve in the kingdom of God regardless of what my life was happening in my life, regardless of what my situation looks like. I'm going to serve so that others might come to know Jesus and the fellowship of his suffering and the fullness of his glory. Won't you be a person like that today? Won't you have a coal miner spirit? One that says, I'll get my hands dirty. I'll dig deep down into the dirt. I'll till some of the soil to make this stuff happen. I may not get a reward for it. But the reward of seeing people come to know Jesus will be worth it. And the only way that you become a coal miner Christian is if you put your faith in the one who had his face placed in the dirt, his body beaten, left the comforts of heaven to come and die in your place. This Jesus the one we proclaim and he calls us into relationship with him he calls us into into a relationship with him that he says listen I gave up everything for you so that you can give up everything for me but he promises us a reward that is greater Paul talks about this as the hope of glory and that hope is that one day we'll be in his presence. One day every believer that has been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, they'll get to see their Savior and worship him for all of eternity. And in his presence there is joy forevermore. There's never a sad day in his presence. Every head bow, every eye close. If you want to place your trust in Jesus today, we've got some Folks standing in the back, who are waiting to receive you, they'll walk you through what it looks like to be in relationship with Jesus today. They'll help to walk you from spiritual death, because the Scripture says, "Before we were in Christ, we were dead. Spiritually, we're dead. But Christ has made us alive. I want you to trust Him today?" He's given everything for you so that you can be in a relationship with him. He didn't spare one ounce of his blood because he wanted you to have the fullness of relationship with him. Is there one today who wants to put their faith in Jesus? Is there one who wants to put their trust into the perfect one is there one today if that's you you can slip to the back and folks will be waiting to receive you they'll talk with you and then we'll begin to have a relationship with you where we teach you how to be in relationship with God Father thank you Thank you for your love. Your mercy abounds. Your kindness never runs out. God, as we sing earlier, Lord, you there's no mountain you won't climb up. No wall you won't kick down. Coming after us, God. Lord, we thank you for you, your love for us and how you chase us down. God, I pray if there's anyone running today that they would choose this day who they're going to serve. That when they hear the voice of God calling them, that they don't harden their heart. Because you desire to give them a new heart, a heart of flesh. And take away that old heart of stone. God, we thank you, we praise you, glory and honor belong to you, majesty and power, dominion and glory forever and ever. You'll be our king and we'll be your children. In Jesus' name.